Hey, this is Chris. Before we get to the show, let me tell you a little bit about Anchor. Anchor is our way of we record podcasts. Fantastic. Let me tell you why. It's easy. It's free. There are creation tools that we can record and edit your podcast right from your phone and your computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on such um, providers as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need in a podcast and so much more. Check out Anchor, and you can find it all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Anchor, it's a fantastic way of creating your first podcast and making it work. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Ohioan Podcast Network. Craig Schaup here with George Thomas of the Akron Beacon Journal, a terrific sports writer and film critic. George, how are you doing today? I'm not comatose. That's the best you're getting today. <laughs> that is Well, you know what? That's, that's good. I, even when you're comatose, you're still uh, providing great insight for us. Well, we've got a jam-packed show, even only one movie review. We still have uh, maybe as much action to talk about as a summer blockbuster but we are going to get into the latest summer blockbuster first, George. Hopefully a lot of box office expectations uh, also will be on uh, demand viewing at home. It is the R-rated version here of the Suicide Squad from James Gunn. George, I read your review, but I want to, to tell I want you to tell people what you thought of this, uh, I guess you could say, redo of the 2016 film. We're just going to call it what it is. It's a reboot. You know what it is? It's a prime example of what happens when you let a, a filmmaker who has a vision, knows how to execute it, knows how to write it, and bring it to the screen, and you leave them alone. <laughs> and that, 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 that's, that's the bottom line difference here. Apparently, the, the Suicide Squad, notice the difference. It's Suicide Squad. And the Suicide Squad. <laughs> it's sort of like that the OSU and OSU. <laughs> that thing behind my yes. ass right there. But I'm really, the weird part is, I'm really curious now to see David Ayer's version. Okay. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll get back to that. Okay. Um, this is everything the first movie should have been because let's face it. You know, I'm, I've told you before, I'm not a big comics, comic book reader, right. but I know that the characters presented in Suicide Squad are some of the vilest people walking right. the planet. They're murderers, murderers, arsonists, hired killers, just everything wrong with the world. And right. the, the, the setup is very simple. You do this mission for the government and you get time knocked off of your prison set. Right. Much like the first one. I mean, exactly. the, premise I mean, of the first one. The big difference between the two films is a matter of execution. Sure. I mean, I in my review, I wrote point blank. The, the mission almost almost doesn't really matter. It's it's the characters, how they interact, the the wit of the script, which which um, James Gunn, who, who's the director, also wrote and the wit, the irony Everything is there in this first one. Everything just flows. The performances are tremendous. Although I'll be honest with you, one of the best things about the the first film was Will Smith as Deadshot. Right. Yes. It basically bring bring Idris Elba in right. to play Bloodsport, who's another talented marksman. The characters are different, but. I long to see them together now. You know right, what I right. mean? Will <laughs> yeah. Smith was awesome. I he mean, was very, was, very good in that first one, or whatever you want to call it. He, when that movie is on TNT late at night, and and I'm scanning through channels, I will stop because I know Will Smith is in it, and yeah. he's just having a good old time cutting it up. Yes, Idris Elba, bit more under, understated, but when what he does in this movie lands, it lands like with, with a huge punch. Watching him and John Cena go back as alpha males in this thing is 
an absolute treat. And I'll, like I said, the mission does not matter. Right. They're, they're, they're looking to save the, the, the United States and the rest of the free world from this starfish-like being. Obviously, the U.S. has known about this creature forever and is in on its development. Blah, 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 blah. Right. We've got Margot Robbie back as Harley Quinn. Right. We've got a character called the Rat Catcher, too. <laughs> Polka Dot Man. Right. Um, who am I missing? Um, Colonel Flag is back. And you know, Joel Kinnaman, I just, he, he doesn't get, get enough credit because he gets, his humor comes from a deadpan kind of place. Right. You know what I mean? It, yeah. It, it's just an observant kind of thing, and he'll land a land a line here, and it's like, yeah, nice. Were you happy to see? I mean, obviously, we you know you mentioned the Will Smith not being one of the holdovers, but were you were you happy to see that they held over guys like Joel Kinnaman and of course Margot Robbie, uh, Jay Courtney's also in there as Captain Boomerang. I know he was in the first one. Uh, Ike Baron or uh, uh, Violet Davis which, I mean, you, you know, she could read the menu at McDonald's, and I think everybody would want to watch that. Are you Were you thinking that they should have completely rebooted it, or are you happy that they, they held over not just Margot Robbie, but some of the other characters as well? Um, you're, you're real happy to see Viola Davis. Right. Period. I mean, I, as far as I'm concerned, there wasn't really enough of her in the first one. No, there was not. But... but I became familiar with her character, Amanda Waller, in various incarnations of DV, DC properties. Right. Um, Air, the, the Arrowverse, um, what else? Uh, she, she appeared in Batman the Animated Series. Um, I'm pretty sure she even hit Batman Beyond at one point. Doesn't matter. But right. She's malevolent. She's she's probably more skeevy than any of these people she lets out of prison prison right. and do her dirty work. Yeah, I mean she's just a vile creation. Vi Viola Davis takes that character and just creates something you you hiss at and absolutely love to see work. And and it's it's difficult to see this movie being done without the character's presence right. and without. Viola Davis in role. Same for Harley Quinn. And 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 I, I wrote this in my review as well. The character of Harley Quinn is about 30 years old now. Right. It seems like she's been in the Bat, Batman universe forever, the DC yeah. universe forever. Right. But she was actually created for Batman, the animated series that ran on Fox in, beginning in 1991. And the fact that she's come so far as as a a character and as a force in the DC universe is, is a testament to Paul Benny and 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 Bruce Tim. Right. The, the guys who created her for that series. And Margot Robbie again takes the character and just inhabits her. Right. Really inhabits her. And the best thing about this movie, as far as I'm concerned, or one of the best things, is that there's no damn Joker to be seen. <laughs> there is no Joker. Yes. So Harley Quinn is free to do Harley Quinn kind of right, thing. Right. And it's just awesome that Margot Robbie takes those moments and just runs with them. You know Absolutely what I like? Runs with them. You know what I like about Margot Robbie and, and what she, she does here? Uh, you know, I, I haven't seen it yet, but I will be watching it maybe tonight because I know it's going to be on a Premiere Access tonight here on HBO Max. But she likes to play this character, you know, even after all of her booming success, she doesn't mind continuing to play this character and inhabit this world, even though she's been in some real bombs with this character. And now she kind of gets out of it and gets to be in a good movie for a change. It seems like a lot of people are responding positively to this, even though they've always responded positively to her performances, but now she gets to be in a good movie with a unique character that she seems like she wants to play this character until they decide to reboot that franchise with her and not have that, you know, character be played by her. 
she, she does, but she did say in an interview she's she's going to take a break from Harley for a little bit. I can and get, I get that. Because this yeah. has got it's got to be a tough character to play. Yeah. It, it, she's as 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 absolutely violent and ridiculous as she comes across. The character is actually pretty complex. Yeah. Based based on origins and where she what she evolves into, and even even now you're not sure whether there's a good Harley, bad Harley, in between Harley, whatever Harley. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And, and she embodies all that perfectly. You know, and another thing maybe to mention too, and and maybe you can speak to this since you've seen the film, but uh, Sylvester Stallone also uh, uh, it's sort of a. Uh, a James Gunn holdover from the Guardians of the Galaxy universe comes over here and gets to play King Shark in this uh, film. So who would have ever thunk, uh, you know, after his illustrious career that Sly Stallone would be uh, being a shark essentially in a movie? Well, you, it's I the, when I heard the heard his voice for the first time, I didn't realize going in that he was playing. Right. The first thing I thought is, oh, James Gunn just loves to get these big celebrities doing yeah. these. Minimalist yeah. voices. You think yes. of Vin Diesel in Guardians right. of the Galaxy as group, yes. Um, so it, it, once I realized who it was, and I'm like, well, that's kind of perfect. Yeah. So right. <laughs> what about you know? You, you mentioned that David Ayer. You know, he directed the 2016 film. For those of you who uh, thankfully skipped that movie, um, you know, you mentioned you wouldn't mind seeing the Ayer cut. I know that we talked a lot about uh, you know this year on. The, the, Zack, the Zack Snyder cut of the Justice League, which it was a way better film than the Joss Whedon cut uh, that came out theatrically. I mean, do you really think that there's anything in that suit? Because it seemed like it was a, a, you know, I haven't seen this new one, but it seemed like that was too dark and grim and just didn't take it. It took itself too seriously. Do you think that there really could be a tonal shift enough for that movie to be better if there was an extended David Ayer cut? I think that if they had let David Ayer make the R-rated cut he wanted to, there there would have been a lot better film there. Right. I, I firmly believe that. But Warner Brothers has been a studio with its its comic book properties that have been um, notoriously conservative. I mean, think back over the 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 earlier part this summer with Batman and does Batman do a certain sex act? (laughs) How they went on the record and say, stop this. They basically made everybody clam up. I mean, stuff like that. And and everything I read as as that production, as that movie was filming, was that they were indeed being heavy handed. As far as content goes, right. they wanted more jokes here, sort of like what they did with Justice League, and right. not letting not letting Snyder really, or, or eventually bringing Whedon in to lighten the tone. Blah blah blah, blah blah blah. They're heavy-handed, and maybe maybe now they've learned something. Right. Maybe this will help them learn something, although. The likelihood that the box office is going to be akin to the first one, right, isn't, isn't good because it, they can't be judged the same way because of of circumstances right, right. now. Right. You know, uh, it. I don't know what you thought initially when when James Gunn came over. Obviously, I thought it was a big coup for them because I think he just struck the right chords in the MCU with Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean. You know that was a a property that not a lot of people knew about. Even comic book fans really didn't know. Like who is the you know who are these Guardians of the Galaxy? And he made a couple of really good films out of that, and he just seemed to strike a good tone. Sort of like how maybe the Thor Ragnarok struck a really fun tone, which turned that franchise of Thor individually into actually a good franchise. Because I thought the first two movies were just absolute terrible. But Thor Ragnarok found out what Thor really was good at, which is comedy, and it turned it it turned itself on its head. You know, this is this was a big coup, I think, for DC to be able to get James Gunn in the middle. Yeah, it was in the middle of a controversy, but he's come out of that. We've all kind of come out of it. Obviously, he's going to be directing another Marvel movie with Guardians three. You know, what do you what is your take on maybe James Gunn? maybe taking over for Zack Snyder leaving the the DCU and maybe James Gunn being that guy that maybe knows how this should work. Well, I, I, I 
think it's already come out that he's going to do another DC movie. I, I don't know right. what that is. Um, he might be the one director who's able to successfully navigate the two universes. Yeah. DC and, and, and Marvel and for, 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 for as long as he wants to. Right. That, he, right now, he looks like that go-to guy who gets cast all the DC versus Marvel BS aside. He looks like he's the guy who gets and understands both sides of this, to, to, to this quote-unquote rivalry. Right. And if, if, if I'm in charge of either one of these universes, Kevin Feige on the Marvel side, and I don't know who's in charge on the DC side. At this point, yeah. I'm I'm giving this guy whatever he wants. Yeah. I really am. Um, he's it's, that good when it comes yeah. to the, these properties. It's funny that DC, you know, for all their whatever you want to call their universe, is just a complete mess. But yet they always seem to have the better directors and maybe better screenwriters. I mean, you know, Matt Reeves is directing The Batman with Robert Pattinson. Matt Reeves is a very talented director. You've got James Gunn here. You know, Christopher Nolan has come in through the DC universe. So it's kind of surprising that DC has what seems like better backing of talent and directors and maybe even casting. And yet their movies are far worse than what the MCU produced because I just think they weren't really on the same page as each other. They, they don't have a coherent vision of what's going on in the DC universe because you've got, well, we want to have Michael Keaton come back as play and play Batman and the flash. And then we want to have Ben Affleck come back. And now we're going to have all these other intersecting things coming through that you just don't. And the Joker for instance, as well as another issue that they can't seem to lock down that character for a certain person or a certain vision for it, so it's like DC's just throwing stuff in the air and hoping something falls in the gloves. That's, that's exactly what I was thinking. By the same token, you they don't they they don't have that one person with the vision to right. tie this helm this all and tie it all together and 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 know where things are going. That Marvel thing mapped out phase one, right. phase two, phase three, phase four. It's all mapped out, and it's like, you know, they went with Zack Snyder to to attempt to do that, right? And I don't think they realized when they made that move that it was. And I it, we've talked before about Man of Steel, a movie I love, but for all as good as Man of Steel was, a lot of his other stuff in the the the, the DC universe was meh. Yeah, and 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 Snyder has always been a director whose style over substance. Right. It, 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 the story usually came second. I. That's why Man of Steel was such a pleasant surprise for me because he nailed the emotional elements there. I thought. Right. Well, that's a good point. Um, you know, I saw, I read the review. Uh, can you tell everybody at home what uh, final grade did you give for the Suicide Squad? I gave it a B plus, I think. Yes, you did. A minus. B plus, I saw. You can read that review from George on the Akron Beacon Journal. It's a great read. I read it uh, this morning, and it uh, it inspired our next topic. So we talked a lot about the original Suicide Squad that came out 2016, um, and this is essentially a reboot, a redo, a do over, whatever you want to call it. That they wanted to do a Suicide Squad movie, or James Gunn wanted to do a Suicide Squad movie. And at the time, he was a free agent. Well, Warner and DC ponied up and said, come on come on board. Now we finally get the movie coming out here. And it kind of thought made me think about movie, uh, one certain movie that's always been in my mind about this. What movie or franchise or whatever it may be in between would you like to see redone, rebooted, or you wish it would have been better and maybe if they could make it like five years later, this is the better movie like we see with Suicide Squad, I can go first and give you a little chance to marinate. I, I'm, 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 I'm willing to bet we have the same one, but go ahead. I doubt it. I doubt it. This go is for it, then. I'm not, I'm not obscure here, but this is going to be sort of obscure for non-real movie fans. Now, I wouldn't say that. I mean, it was a wide release movie with with actors that people know, but I'm going to take the 2006 film 
The Fountain from Darren Aronofsky. And the reason why I'm picking this is because I'm a huge fan of Darren Aronofsky. I love Requiem for a Dream. I enjoyed Pie. I was extremely excited because he really had gone through a lot of time to try to make this film in between because it you know he had Requiem for a Dream in 2000 and then 2006 was his next movie which is uh The Fountain and it's this really sprawling potential epic masterwork of three different intersecting stories where we basically hang out in the real world with Hugh Jackman as a scientist trying to find a cure for his wife Rachel Weisz's cancer he's unable to but she's journaling she's writing well, she writes a story about uh, conquistador that you know she envisions him playing, uh, trying to find the tree of life and sort of you know all the all the the cures to the world, and then the final story that intersects those two in the the second one here of non reality is uh, Hugh Jackman's character is flying around in a bubble, going to a nebula where the Mayans believe life kind of it you know inhabits and you know you become free again essentially, so he's uh, in a space world if you will flying around with a tree of life in a giant space bubble going to, to try to be with his wife, essentially. The film, 96 minutes long, George. We're talking very barely an hour and a half with credits, okay? And you're talking about three movies, essentially, for the price of one, because you've got three interconnecting stories that, you know, sort of tell this narrative structure. And I feel like, and I can, I'll get into it even further here, this movie began with a $75 million budget, and then it went into turnaround. And for those of you who don't know what turnaround is, essentially the studio said, nah, we're not making $75 million movie about space trees and conquistadors fighting, blah, blah, blah. So no, you're gonna we're going to stick it in the drawer. You can't make it for $75 million. So then it gets made for $35 million, and we get this hour and 36-minute film from Aronofsky Visually, it's it's stunning. It's well acted, as you would expect from Hugh Jackman, Rachel Weisz, and, and others. But it just falls flat because, unfortunately, we just don't get enough time to really develop a narrative. We don't really get enough time to to see these these stories play out. This is the one time where you might say this movie needed to be two and a half hours or two hours and twenty minutes or whatever to really be, you know, understanding and, and let, letting you kind of marinate into these characters and get to know them and, and care for them even more than you might already, you know, care for them. So that's my film that I really wish Aronofsky either A, would have been able to make the film he wanted to for $75 million, or B, let's say if, if there's a mulligan that you can take here on the golf course, that's the mulligan I'd love to see Aronofsky, Aronofsky take because in the subsequent movies that, because I think it really shattered him a little bit, that movie, because he really wanted that to be sort of his 2001 A Space Odyssey, and it wasn't. And then what does he, what does he do immediately after that? He makes The Wrestler, he makes Black Swan, two very gritty, down to very much earth dramas that are independently produced and financed and not really big budget films. So I think the studio thing kind of, you know, scarred him a little bit. Now, eventually, he did go back into the studio realm and do Noah, but I think he really had a terrible time with trying to get the fountain off the ground to be what it what he really wanted it to be, and that's why it ultimately failed. So there's my spiel about the mulligan or the do-over or the what-if possibility. I'm going to cheat and take two okay. because we're in the summer. <laughs> go ahead. That's fine. We're, and, and we're in the summer, and, and, and we're in this comic book thing right well, now. Well, first, before you get into it, what do, what do you think about my assessment that the fountain could have been better? I mean, I'm not sure if you've seen it, but I have not it? seen it. That okay. was that was in my my black hole of okay, not doing anything. Okay, so I I did not see it. I did see the wrestler, which I enjoyed immensely. Right. I saw Black Swan, enjoyed it immens immensely, but sure. I I didn't see the fountain. Okay, so, that's fine. Go ahead and uh, let's lay it on lay it on us here. What do you got? Uh, we're gonna go one DC. We're gonna go one Marvel. You can probably guess what both of them are, but <laughs> it's not Spider Man, is it? Let's hope it's oh, not. God, no, no. <laughs> first, the first, very first Spider Man. Well, I shouldn't say very first because a lot of people don't know about uh, Spider Man's film history pre Sam Raimi. So, sure. um. But um, first one, DC, the Green Lantern. 
Oh man, good 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 choice. Yes. <laughs> because you know what? As bad as that movie was, hmm. Green Lantern, Hal Jordan was perfectly cast. Yeah. And they absolutely wasted Ryan Reynolds in a trash movie. Yeah. And I realize now, back then, Ryan Reynolds isn't wasn't Ryan Reynolds. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. That, that wasn't necessarily a project he could risk saying no to. Right. So I I don't fault him as much for that. Right. He but, has a tone though with Deadpool. What? He did a tone for the oh, trash of Green Lantern with Deadpool. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But I know what you mean though. He got Hell Jordan's arrogance right. He got the self-doubt right. He got right. all the emotional elements were there. The rest of it was just trash. And I'm yeah. just, I'm walking out of the theater and my, my first reaction is, what the hell was that? Why did they do that? <laughs> and it's, 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 it was disappointing. Right. I think in the hands, and again, we go back to the problem with DC is that they don't put their properties in the hands of of filmmakers. They do not. Well, I would I would counter that by saying that you know director Martin Campbell was fresh off of Casino Royale. Bond. Now yeah. I realize that Bond inherently has some things that you can just rely on, but if you think about how Casino Royale differed so much from the Pierce Brosnan you know, Bond or any other Bond. I mean, it was like a really gritty Jason Bourne-like James Bond. And it was a completely different tonal shift. And I give credit to, I, I give some credit Daniel to- Daniel Craig for that. And Daniel Craig. And I give credit to the studio for saying, okay, we're going to let you guys make the gritty Bond, whatever. But Martin Campbell was behind that. And I thought he did a nice job directing that film. Not Green Lantern though. Green no. Lantern is terrible. But it's a- I remember that's one of the reasons I had such high hopes for Green Lantern. Right, it was walking yeah. in there. Yeah, he had, he had, for that exact reason. He had just come off Casino Royale. It's like, all right, he, he, there's some potential here for him to do this the right way. You know, technically, Green Lantern is one of those more obscure characters. Technically, technically, he's. He's DC's Iron Man, Tony yeah. Stark. Yeah. I, I would I would argue that with Justice League, in the cartoons, and I realize we're referencing cartoons now, but with Justice League, Hal Jordan, and um, what's the the the, the African American Green Lantern's name? Oh, um, it's on the tip of my tongue, and I yeah. I can't, um, isn't it John? Um, I'm, I am I am drawn a blank. Doesn't yeah. matter because both of those be, both of those characters became integral to the Justice League. John they Stewart. Were, John Stewart. Yes, they, they were elevated. Me. They were elevated in the animated yeah. series, so yeah. they had some heft to them. They had substance to them. Right. And and it just went by the wayside with that film. Notice we haven't seen a Green Lantern film since, but there's talk of the Green Lantern Corps television series on HBO yeah. Max. Right. So we'll see if it can be redeemed. And we've seen the lanterns as well in some of the, like the Snyder Cut had some lanterns in yeah. the big battle scene with the Amazonians and the um, uh, everybody like Aquaman's family was in there. I mean, everybody that fought, you know, uh, I don't. I, well, I guess Steppenwolf was in there, but all the bad guys in that big battle sequence from eons ago, the lanterns were in that. But yeah, you're right. And I think I don't. You know, I guess that begs the question of: Is the Green Lantern worth its own its own movie? Is it? You know, because sometimes you get into these situations where people say, "Well, why haven't we seen a, a Hulk movie with?" Um, you know, and I know we've seen Hulk movies, but why haven't we seen a new one? Maybe. Uh, now that they've rebooted the character, it's no longer Edward Norton's character. So why, why, you know, why haven't we seen that? Why haven't we seen, you know, a Hawkeye movie, even though we're getting a Hawkeye series? So maybe is it? Do you think it's just they're not worth their own 
movie or because I kind of make that argument when I talk about Superman and I'll let you answer and then I'll tell you why I say Superman's not his own movie kind of guy. I I think with the Hulk, it's a it's a rights universe or rights issue because Universal owns the rights to that character. Sure. So that that may be more of a rights issue, or they just realize that Hulk Smash is the best you're gonna do. Well, but you've got um, you know you've got Professor Hulk, which Mark Ruffalo became Professor Hulk. Yeah. Endgame. That, that now that's the Hulk on film is not a main character now in the Avengers. Both, well, how many? Three Avengers movies? Four? Yeah, four. four. I mean, great, great ensemble character, without a doubt. Right. Ruffalo's sensibilities fit fit in perfectly as part of part of the ensemble. I mean, going back to um, was it Infinity War? I just watched it again a couple weeks ago, and you're looking at that scene on that 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 aircraft character carrier for lack of a better word where everybody's going at one another in the tesseract loki scepter sitting in the background and the sarcasm the wit everything is flying between every quote-unquote member of the avengers and he's fantastic but i don't know other than an origin story what you can do with the hulk anymore you know what i mean yeah. So, what about Green Lantern? Is is Hal Jordan, or you know, I mean, is it a is it a combination where you have Hal Jordan and John Stewart and all the other I Lanterns? Think I think it's a combination because, in and of himself, Hal Jordan's backstory wasn't that compelling. Right. Arrogant hotshot pilot. You you sum that up in 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 ten words. Right. So it, it wasn't all that compelling to me. I think John Stewart has a, a an interesting backstory. And yeah. to be honest with you, the elements of Green Lantern, the movie that worked, was when he met the rest of the core, right. the rest of those characters. Those moments worked. Right. So maybe it's not even a Green Lantern movie. It's a Green Lantern Lantern core movie right. or television series. All right. Now that you've answered that, I'm going to say this is why I don't think Superman is its main is a main character. This First is sacrilege off, in Cleveland. You know that, don't I, you? Well, okay. This is sacrilege in Cleveland. I'm going to say this. You inspired me to take a different look at Man of Steel that I had not originally thought of when I first watched it and didn't like it. I still can't say that I like it because it's just like a. I mean, for lack of a better for lack of a better use of word here, it's an orgasm on the screen in terms of visuals and fast camera movements and this and that. It just lost me at times. Now, I will say this: you got me with the emotional core at this film, so I, I will say that it really it really won me over that way. That's the only thing that works about Superman, and here's why: when you're talking about you know superhero movies, you're talking about the villain at the end of the day. It's got to be the villain that can match wit for wit or power for power. And realistically, Superman is Superman. He he can do anything he wants. He can, if he wanted to, he could, you know, rotate the Earth's axis and turn back time to before everybody was alive. So I, <laughs> right. So I think my biggest my biggest problem is is that when you're that great, there's there's no there's not as much tension. Like, even though I thought the, the sequences between he and maybe Zod and the crew there were, were, were solid with Man of Steel, I never really thought to myself, oh, man, Zod's going to kill Superman. Even though we know the hero's going to come out on top anyway, we want that tension to build in these movies where you really think Superman's going to die. You really think Thanos is going to take over the world because he did. You know what I mean? And see, this is this is why Man of Steel was different for me because that that feeling that that boy scout feeling was non-existent for much of that film and actually it really didn't come around until Justice League that yeah. towards the end of Justice League he wasn't a boy scout we right. saw superman kill right. and that's ultimately why there was 
there was his inner battle. There was the conflict with Zod. Right. But there, I, I disagree because Zod was every bit of his, his, his equal. He could have died in that instance. Maybe. Yeah. He really could have. The only difference is Superman Clark Kent had more control of his powers because he grew up on Earth. That right. therein lies a big difference. But that that conflict is what yes. that inner conflict is what so he wasn't a Boy Scout in that movie. The he final, had no idea yeah. who the hell he was. You are he right was. about that. I will say this: the final what four or five minutes of Man of Steel, where he's battling Zod for the last time, and really it comes down to a moral decision of: do I kill Zod, and then there's no other person like me in the in the whole universe, essentially? Or do I keep him alive and try to, you know, turn him to we can be great here on Earth? But, you know, obviously he he comes to the realization he has to kill Zod, and he does. And that's sort of that morality payoff that Zack Snyder, even maybe Zack Snyder might not have realized he had that on his hands when he made the film because it's still a bunch of pomp and circumstance with him. But that was probably, and unfortunately, though, when you're talking about a two-and-a-half-hour movie, in the last five to ten minutes are really the big crucial moment the rest of it kind of drags behind waiting until that real big payoff and everything before that's just all over the screen fast movements here super speed here slow-mo here not everything not <laughs> everything. everything the 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 moments with with jonathan kent no 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 yeah okay you're right okay i'll give you that no. yep that's how i connected the way i did with that movie right right so and it wasn't the battle scenes. It, it, it was none, except for that that last one. That the yeah, one you right. mentioned. Other than it wasn't the battle scenes. It's it's what that character is actually going through. Right. Because in, in prior incarnations, we were basically taught he grew up on a farm. He realized he had powers and he decided to do good. Right. That's right. it. That that's the way it was pre presented. And it's like even in Justice League, it's Snyder's Justice League. The battle is still going on internally some until sure. Jonathan Kent and and Jor-El converge in his head and that right. scene comes in. This is what you were meant for. Do it. Both dads are in agreement. Right, so right. you know, Superman's probably the one superhero that I would watch a movie of his, and I hoped, I would hope that there's no action sequences because that's that story at its best has probably the best mythos in all of comic book lore because he's this alien on earth and he's trying to figure himself out that's probably the best backstory that you can find in the comic book legends and yet superman always gets you know kind of not in man of steel is probably a little bit different but he always kind of gets you know pigeonholed into this oh he's going to come in and punch everybody out of the earth and he's going to you know blow his his cool breath on her or, or heat you know heat ray on you and, and you're dead or whatever he needs to do but instead i'd almost rather just watch a two-hour drama of superman kind of growing up and and you know figuring out his way around and being uh the the, the strange person on earth they did that it's called smallville that's true yeah yeah that <laughs> and that's true. why and that's why smallville until he's they, the character started morphing into Superman. That's why Smallville was so damn interesting. To right. Me. It explored all of that. Well, I will say this. I, I wouldn't be opposed to seeing more of Superman, and I wouldn't be opposed to, to seeing Henry Cavill continue to play Superman. I know there's a big push to keep all of that stuff together, along, of course, with Ben Affleck as Batman, um, even though at this point I think DC – is treating Batman like the Spider-Man uh, as, you know, having like 25 different people play Spider-Man over a 10-year period. Um, but you said you had a Marvel movie that you would like to see a mulligan for. What was the Marvel movie? Well, it's already, already had a mulligan. But I want to see the Fantastic Four done right. Oh, man. Yeah. Tell me about it. <laughs> I mean, I, I just... It's been, what, three... There have been three... Fantastic Four, well, technically four. One was made in the yeah, 80s. Yeah, yeah. And, and it was made to fulfill a rights contract thing, and it's a piece of garbage. Yeah. But, you know, the, the very first one was okay. But it, it after that, and with the reboot, 
Mm-hmm. Nothing was right. I want to see a definitive Fantastic Four movie that can turn into something that, yeah, you want to go back to. Right. I, I, I didn't want to go back after the, the first film made in the early 2000s. And I didn't want to go back after the reboot, despite the fact that it had Michael B. Jordan in the cast. Oh well, yeah, and he's fantastic, and, and yeah, it's it was it was sad. The reboot was sad, and here's why: there was a lot of expectations that this was going to get right because Josh Trank was directing, yep. and he was kind of fresh off of um, I, now I can't remember the movie anymore, the uh, superhero movie that he did, um, but. Um, he, you know, he had, he was on on there. He had Michael B. Jordan. He had a good cast. He had a, a cast of people that you you like and could grow with. And then the movie was just trash. I mean, it was probably worse, if not on the same level as Green Lantern. I don't know how that failed so badly, but it did. And and you know what? Jamie Bell was fantastic yeah. in that movie. Yeah. And it's like, how do you blow this? Yeah. And and. That's that's as much as I can say about that film because I put it so far in my rear view. <laughs> right. I mean, <clears throat> there are certain move, there are certain franchises I own to be a completist. Like there, technically, there are five Bourne films. Yeah, one of them has um, Jeremy Renner as as right, Jeremy. right. Yes, I own that one simply right. to be a completist. I don't own any Fantastic Four films at all. Yeah, the movie was Chronicle. That was the movie I couldn't uh, remember from Josh Trank. There you go. Uh, but yeah, you're right. I I mean, it's it's surprising that no one really ever thought you could make a worse film than the original Fantastic Four, or the 2000 versions of Fantastic Four. But wow, oh I think, my dear. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a mess. I don't. I can't even understand why. It's just one of those movies. I've seen it a couple of times here on like FX, and I thought, well, maybe I'll give it a shot. And I'm just like, I can't. I just it's not there for me. So, and it's a, it's a, like the first one, it's a waste of a talented cast. And this one, even more so, I think with Jamie Bell, like you said, Kate Mara, um, you know, so it just, it didn't work out for whatever reason. I don't know. But um, so, yeah, those are two really good picks. I, I like those picks. And, you know, um, if I probably, if I liked Fantastic Four more in real life than hated that movie, I'd probably would have said I'd like to see a mulligan, but I don't really care as much for the Fantastic Four to be like, oh, I got to see the great movie about the Fantastic Four because I don't know, I don't, I, I never really got into into the Fantastic Four so much. Um, I think the best adaptation I've ever seen of the Fantastic Four was uh, I don't know if you ever watched the Venture Brothers on Cartoon Network, but they had uh, a spoof of the Fantastic Four. Stephen Colbert played Mister Impossible, who had the super stretch stuff like that. It was kind of a funny. Um, a funny little riff on the Fantastic Four. So that's probably the funniest thing I've ever seen about the Fantastic Four and probably the best because the stuff out there right now is just garbage. So hopefully when Marvel decides here, which they are going to be rebooting or whatever you want to call it, hopefully they get it right because if they can't get it right, I just might put them into that. They're in the Green Lantern peg where maybe they just can't have a movie off of them because they're just not, they don't work cinematically maybe or something. Right. I'm already, I'm, I'm almost already there. So I get it. I start, yeah. It's, it's, you know, it, 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 you may have to, you may have to hulk them if they can't get them right at, at this point. Well, there were some rumors that maybe uh, Mr. Fantastic would sort of be the next Iron Man leader of the, of the group. You know, the guy that sort of calls the shots or whatever you want to call what Iron Man was, even though Captain Rogers, of, of course, sort of was the uh, the coach on the field, if you will. But, you know, maybe Mr. Fantastic, they're going to reinvest into that. And I know John Krasinski's a guy that everybody wants to, you know, the, him to play Mr. Fantastic. But uh, it seems like they're possibly maybe going to lean towards investing into the Fantastic Four even more so than the X-Men, which kind of interesting That's to right. me. Though, with all the X-Men films we've had, maybe they look at it like, well, it's kind of been saturated a little bit at this point. Could be. Yeah. Well, we talk about comebacks or I guess redos or mulligans. Now we're going to talk about actors' comebacks here for our final topic. And what kind of inspired this was uh, just in the last couple of days, Brendan Fraser 
Of course, everybody knows him from the Mummy franchise. Um, has joined Martin Scorsese's new film, Killers of the Flower Moon. And, you know, this is a lot of people are, are, are kind of excited because, you know, we just saw him, George, in No Sudden Move playing a, uh, a gangster, essentially a low-level gangster in Detroit. And now he uh, he seems to have really, I guess you could say, got the full comeback going because he's going to be in a Scorsese movie. He's going to star in Darren Aronofsky's next movie, The Whale, which is in post-production. So it got me thinking about maybe some actors or actresses that have had some, you know, maybe some downtime in their career, and then all of a sudden they boom back up. Uh, I've got a few that I'll list, and, and maybe our list will, will mirror each other a little bit. Um, but the first, the first one that really kind of came to mind to me was Mickey Rourke. Uh, he had, you know, obviously he's kind of been a steady working actor, did a lot of straight-to-DVD stuff after some of his popularity in the 80s. But he really burst back on the scene with Sin City and then extremely burst back on the scene with The Wrestler. We talked about that a little bit ago, the Darren Aronofsky wrestling drama, which was a fantastic film. And Mickey Rourke was fantastic, uh, earning an Oscar nomination for that role. So Mickey Rourke kind of was one of those guys that was under the radar. And then all of a sudden the right project comes along and boom, he's back in the spotlight. And then, he, of course, he then goes from Sin City to The Wrestler to get that Oscar nomination. Um, I think it's probably been talked about many, many times by smarter people than me. John Travolta, Pulp Fiction. Um, you know, obviously John Travolta has always been a busy actor, although more recently it's been the direct-to-DVD slash no one ever sees his movies anymore type movies. But for a while there, you know, he was on fire with, you know, Saturday Night Fever and all these other movies. Kind of hit the doldrums in the in the late '80s, and then Pulp Fiction comes around. The right script, the right director, the one guy that said, "Hey, John Travolta's a star. Let's put him in my movie." Quentin Tarantino does Oscar nomination for Travolta, and then of course he goes on uh, to get better projects. Although I wouldn't say better projects because uh, Battlefield Earth is one of those projects. So, uh, but John Travolta certainly comes to mind. I think a lot of people probably talk about him as being one of these bounce back you know, resurrected career type guys. But one th one guy that really stood out, Jackie Earl Haley. Huh. Now, this, you'll remember him from Bad News Bears, and who doesn't? But I'm telling you, he was off. He didn't make a movie or a TV show or anything in Hollywood that qualified for an IMDb credit for 13 years. Okay? So then what happens? 1993, his last movie, Prophet of Evil, the... Ervil LeBaron story, a TV movie. I don't even know what that is. So then in 2006, he gets uh, All the King's Men and Little Children. Now, Little Children was the is the key here because this is the movie that put him back on the map. He gets an Oscar nomination playing a pedophile in a neighborhood, does a great job with that film, earned that Oscar nomination, probably arguably could have won the Oscar that year. But then after that, he blows up. He gets semi-pro, the Will Ferrell comedy basketball movie. He gets Watchmen, and then he gets Shutter Island. And even though he's kind of regressed a little bit, that is an incredible... I mean, you're talking about 13 years off. And then all of a sudden, after a 13-year hiatus, you get into the... Yeah, you get into the right movie and the right project, but you also have to hit it out of the park. And he hits little children out of the park and deserve that Oscar nomination. So that's sort of my list. Robert Downey Jr. would be an honorable mention, but again, I think he's another one of those guys that kind of goes without saying that he's been talked about for years now as a comeback actor. I'll see Robert Downey Jr. I wouldn't even put him on his list because he hasn't really been, been gone. Well, think of it this way though. He, he had gotten to the point where he wasn't even insurable. No, like, yeah, that, that was late nineties. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay. And then Mel Gibson actually insured him he's for a still movie. That, right. So, you know, I'm not saying he's the perfect example. I just think he's one of those people that everybody talks about, wow, this guy's career was in the dumps, and now look at him where he's, you know, who, he's stupid made, rich. Made, made half billion dollars from a series of comic book movies? Yes. Yeah, I get it. Um, you know what? You, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of you for, for hitting on the lone actor I had on the list. Okay, that's Travolta. Okay, and to give you some perspective of how long I've been a Travolta fan, right? Welcome, 
Beck Cotter. <laughs> okay. An early 70s TV series where he played Vinny Barbarino. And, you know, he was still under contract to that series when Saturday Saturday Night Fever broke like no one thought it would. Right. Um, and I have been a fan since the Welcome Back Cotter days. Okay. Uh, normally, I wouldn't share something like this. There, there's this unwritten rule with what we do when you're dealing with famous people and that you don't ask for autographs or photos or anything. Sure. I... Um, I interviewed Travolta, drove up for what they call a uh, PA tour in Detroit. It was a day trip for the movie Ladder 49. Okay. I was such a fan. I broke my cardinal rule. I yeah. broke my rule. And he was happy to do it, but it's like, he's one of those, um, I'm not afraid to admit, I just generally like his work, Yeah. number one, and number two, in every instance where I've participated in interviews with him, and I had a one-on-one -on -one with him that day, he's been a genuinely nice guy. Right. Um, so you, you can't help but root for people like that. The thing is, he's also one of the best actors to work without an, without an Academy Award, as far as I'm concerned. Right. I mean, you you talk about comebacks. He he actually had a couple. You you I don't maybe it was intentional. You you skipped the look who's talking years. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did. Well, uh, that that kind of to me that was the we know him from Saturday Night Fever and some of these you know big hits. Yeah, look who's talking was certainly a big hit, but um, I, I would not necessarily classify that as his best work. Um, but yeah, you're right. I, I did skip over the look who's talking years. That, you know, that's positively fair because I wasn't a, right. a big fan of those movies. Um, but the work in, in Pulp Fiction, which led to Get Shorty, which right. is one of my all time Travolta favorites. I like that more than I like Pulp Fiction. Oh, okay. Wow. We got some fight yeah. here. Okay. Because, because. And get shorty, he was the epitome of what I call Travolta cool. Yeah, I mean that was that was Tony Manero with more smarts twenty years after the fact, as far as I'm concerned. Right, right. And it, and it's like he inhabited that role. He was he was he showed a dry wit in it, and it was just this fantastic spoof on on Hollywood culture that I absolutely love. Right. Go back and look at that cast. Him, Delroy Lindo, Dan, Danny DeVito. Um, cameos all over the place. Um, uh, who's the actor from? He's dead now. Uh, and I just, the movie's fantastic. And it, it it's among my favorites. And the thing is, that that led to, to stuff like Face Off. Say yeah. what you will about it. It's a decent action. I enjoyed Face Off. Yeah. I, it was a fun, over-the-top B-movie action movie. That's, you know, it was supposed to be over-the-top and, and just, you know, in yeah. a lot of ways, just Ron a spoof Woo? action yeah. movie. So it was sort of a spoof of action movies. Like, you're taking someone's face off, and then you've got all these, like, really movie star looks at the camera and cool little slow motion. That was exactly what it needed to be, and it, it succeeded at that. So, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Face Off fan. And, and then you look to, uh, he had this this run from Get Shorty on with, that included just entertaining and a couple of thought-provoking films. I mean, a civil action where he plays a, a lawyer working on a class action suit in a, a, a Massachusetts town that that breaks him financially. Right. Um, best Bill Clinton imitation ever in yeah. primary colors yeah and it wasn't even an imitation it was a tremendous performance in a great movie a great yeah. political movie so i he's got to have a fourth act in him he really does you know it's it's funny you mentioned some of his like you know he catches a second breath here you know hairspray was one of those movies that who would have ever thought you would have seen you know 
a guy like him in Hairspray, he was fun in Hairspray. I mean, you know, thankfully it helped atone for Wild Hogs, but then he was pretty good in the Take Him of Pelham One Two Three. I mean, an underrated movie, absolutely. He was he was, he was solid in uh, Oliver Stone's Savages. I'm kind of looking at some of his filmography, and I'm like, you know what? He's kind of coming in and out of Hollywood. You know, there are times where you got to make your money, and that's when you do uh, Wild Hogs. But then there are times where you get a juicy role from, you know, he was in uh, The Thin Red Line, you know. I mean, so it's he's the, he's the kind of actor. I'd love to see him have a fourth act. I really would. I would love to see, you know, a, a you know, not necessarily Tarantino, but who wouldn't want to see a partner, you know, team up with Tarantino again or someone that understands the talent and says, I want to use him the way he needs to be used. And you're going to sell, you know, he, he may not be as mainstream as he once was with some of the, especially like millennials or Gen Z, but the guy could probably still put some butts in the seats, I would imagine as well. Oh, I'd be right there. Yeah. I, that's, that's, that's just that. I mean, he went from cool and, and mind you, Saturday Night Fever got him an Oscar nomination. Yeah. Right off the rip. He was nominated for that. Yeah. Um, epitome of cool, hell of an actor, and you just like to see him work, yeah. do his thing, because there are layers beneath every performance he's putting out there. Right. Yeah, I'd love to see, uh, you know, I'd, I know he's got a, a movie filming right now, don't know much about it, but hopefully it gets him back out there, because, you know, like you said, he is, he is among the elites that have never won an Oscar, obviously been nominated twice, and we certainly talked about Pulp Fiction, and of course, he said Saturday Night Fever. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I'd love to see, you know. And sometimes you get to that point in Hollywood where you're a certain age, and you you may not get the roles that you once did, and then you're now you're kind of pigeonholed into certain roles. I kind of think about Al Pacino and and you know Robert De Niro as being two of our our elder statesmen who very rarely are getting juicy roles because you know some some maybe they're just too old for certain roles and. You know, thankfully, we've had like the Irishman and, you know, I loved uh, Pacino in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But sometimes it seems few and far between that some of our icons and, you know, icons in the in the profession are not really getting the just due as they sort of age out, but continue to want to work. So, you know, uh, John Travolta, not that old, obviously, but certainly, you know, in that stage where, you know, you just hope that maybe a juicy role comes from like a Tarantino type director or a script. You know, he's into that character actor yeah, role and right. just do his thing. Like how, you know, like for a long time there, you know, and Robert De Niro's a guy, even though you, you would never think Robert De Niro would belong on a list like this. But I remember he just was bomb after bomb after bomb. And then he was in like Silver Linings Playbook with David O. Russell. And he really got like a decent role to finally like show, hey, I can still act. I don't have to be bad grandpa or whatever it's called. You know, I can still be Robert De Niro. And of course, he gets the Irishman, you know, obviously with Corsese. But, you know, he's another one of those guys that I could have even thought, you know, he's come back where when you give these guys the right roles, they're still going to knock it out of the park because the talent just is not gone from them just because they're a little older. And Travolta is another one of those examples. Um, in some of the cases, some of those bombs are doing to due to having to do stuff like live. I mean, right, right. they were taking their yes. paycheck movies. Yeah, there's no problem. Yeah. Everybody does it, no matter who you are. I mean, I've seen Morgan Freeman in movies that I just can't believe Morgan Freeman's in because he's Morgan Freeman. He could get whatever he wants, basically. I mean, he's, you know, but every now and then you just want to pay the bills for a couple of uh, months and, you know, hey, here's a straight to DVD movie. You're going to work for 30 days. And we'll give you whatever you want in your trailer, maybe. So yeah, I, I, it's fine. But you know, you always you always hope that we don't lose these actors before they have another chance at at greatness. You know, and obviously the Irishman was one of those examples for De Niro. Travolta, not that we're going to lose him. I'm not saying anything about that. But I just would love to see Travolta really get back into the into that limelight because he deserves it. He is a a great actor, not just a name that people. Oh, he's just a name and a face. He's he is a great actor, so that's a great choice, and I'm glad we uh, matched up on that. I thought we might, but you know, who knows? You're you're more versed in the uh, in the Hollywood game than I am to to know that maybe oh maybe someone else stood out. So I'm glad we we matched up there on Travolta. He's the first one that came to mind yeah. by virtue of the number of comebacks he's had. So 
<laughs> right. Well, and maybe Brendan Fraser is starting his. Obviously, um, you know, he was fun and uh, no sudden move. And, and he's been working, so it's not like he's had like a 20-year hiatus. But when you think of him as being like he was on that 2000, you know, that that wave of being the next action hero like Tom Cruise. And then all of a sudden didn't really flourish for him, although I did like him in Crash back in t- uh, 2004. I know a lot of people are kind of mixed on that movie, but I thought the ensemble acting was fantastic in that movie. Um, so, and Brendan Fraser was, was not in it very much, but he was in there enough to know, Hey, Brendan Fraser's in this movie. So, uh, maybe he'll, uh, give us an Oscar. I mean, the Aronofsky movie's getting some buzz and a lot of people think he got the, uh, the Scorsese movie based off of, you know, the work that he did for Aronofsky. So we'll see what happens, but, uh, what's coming up on the, on the slate next week, George? Uh, next week there's only, oh, actually free guy and, uh, Respect a little RESP. Oh, right, yeah. Maybe another Oscar. Maybe another Oscar for Jennifer Hudson, and maybe a a good Ryan Reynolds movie. Hopefully, it's uh, Deadpool Ryan Reynolds and not Green Lantern Ryan Reynolds. So, I can (laughs) say it's Deadpool Ryan Reynolds. All right, fantastic. All right, George, we definitely appreciate you as always. Again, you can find George's stories on BeaconJournal.com, or you can of course subscribe and get the uh, print edition if you're in the area. You can follow George at by George Thomas on Twitter. So go and follow him and you can read all of his great work uh, covering movies and the Cleveland Browns and the Akron Zips. So once again, George, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you. Hi, I'm Jennifer Mooney. Welcome to what is our new Hope Interrupted podcast based on the work from our book, Hope Interrupted, that I co-authored with my good friend, Byron McCauley. Hey, Jennifer, you know, I'm looking forward to this podcast as much as I was looking forward to writing this book with you. We hope to interview some uh, high impact folks as well as have a little fun. We're going to cover stories of hope. To learn more about our podcast and our book, please visit www.hopeinterrupted.com.